Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Peter, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Eric, how about yourself? Doing very, very well. Good. Spring is in the air. We're enjoying beautiful weather. I actually, uh, I, I got to see that picture of your church, which was just beautiful, beautiful blue skies behind it. Um, obviously, you're enjoying the weather too. Well, that was a picture uh, taken probably last year or the year before on a blue sky day. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll just imagine it's blue skies now. <laughs> yes. Well, it has been. It's been quite nice. It's nice to have, uh, nice to have spring uh uh, poking its yeah. its head out of the, uh, the, the, the tent. Yep. 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 Absolutely. All right. For today's podcast, we're actually talking about, uh, an evergreen topic, as we like to say, uh, this is for all seasons, right? <laughs> this is, it a, is a topic we can talk about all the time and that's tax planning. Uh, and it just doesn't seem to get old, right? I, I, that's, that's my feeling, yeah. but you know, I'm a financial advisor planner. So the, I, I like this stuff. Well, and I, whether we like it or not, we have to listen to this. We, we have to talk about this because um, there's always changes. There's always things going on. There's always something else that we can focus on that are, that's going to help your listeners. Um, and I love the fact that you bring this to me and, and that I get to learn from you every time we get together. Uh, so th with that in mind, what are we focusing on today? Yeah. So, so as, as I mentioned, tax planning just doesn't get old for, for, for me and, and planners, but you know, I'm pretty certain that, that most clients, they just don't really want to spend a lot of time on the subject. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I, that's seems normal and natural to me. I, I think uh, people have a, a similar feeling about root canals and tax preparation, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so with all due respect to my dentist and accounting, accounting friends, you know, ne nevertheless, it's, it's just a, a part of, of financial health. And uh, just like uh, a, a root canal is vital to your physical health. So mm -hmm. we got to do tax planning, it's just part yeah. of what we do. Absolutely. And in pod, in past podcasts, and I've, I've heard you say before, uh, we shouldn't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. Um, and that's always kind of made me chuckle. But what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, simple. You know, what, what's what's most important are your personal financial objectives. Yeah, th these these are your priorities. And, and taxes, while important, they're really secondary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, think about risk management, investment management, income and expense planning and, you know, after-tax returns, that, that should be your focus. You know, so just simply put, you know, a $100 gain in, a, in an investment portfolio is still a gain, mm -hmm. even if it's taxed at the highest bracket. So, you know, if you're taxed, let's say 40% of, 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 of every dollar goes to tax, and that's a, maybe an exaggeration for some, but even if that's the case, you're, you're still ahead. Mm -hmm. And you know, when we talk about risk management, if your gain drops from $100 to $50 and you're still at that high tax bracket, your net gain after tax is now reduced from $60 to $30. So, you know, we all want to we all want to net more than less. <laughs> yeah. So, so tax planning it, it is important, uh, but we want to focus on the priorities. So, 
you, you, what I what I tend to believe is that done consistently over many years, thoughtful investment tax planning can can really increase your your financial assets. You know, it, it, the less you pay in tax, the better. I agree, hundred percent. And I know you've talked about tax and investment planning before, but uh, it's it's good that we're doing this refresher, and I'd, I'd appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think um, I'd like to do that. So let, let's think about um, in general uh, three kinds of of investments and investment vehicles. Okay. So this is big picture first. Mm-hmm. So really, we're talking about tax deferred investments, tax free investments, and then and then lastly, taxable investments. And today, our primary focus is going to be on taxable investments. Okay, so our primary focus is going to be on taxable investments, but what does tax deferred mean? Yeah, this is, I think, important just to just to outline this. So when I think about tax deferred investments, I'm thinking about anything that's in a retirement plan, like traditional IRAs, a 401k mm-hmm. plan, a pension, annuities. So when you do eventually take distributions from that retirement plan, you will pay taxes on whatever you take out. Mm -hmm. So at that time, it's going to be taxed. And when it's taxed, you're taxed at ordinary income tax rates, marginal tax rates. So, you know, those range from they start at 10 percent, go up to 12 to 22 to 24, 32 35 and even 37% at the very highest marginal tax rates. So that's why it's just tax deferred, you'll eventually pay tax on it. So so another area that I think I think about as as tax deferred are are gains in your investments that are unrealized. Mm, okay. That means you your your asset that you've invested in is has appreciated in value, and 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 these are assets that are not held in a retirement plan or or in an annuity. They're held in your own personal names, typically. So just as an example, you buy an asset for a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars is your cost basis. That's what you paid for. Mm-hmm. And let's say it appreciates over time to $300. So no tax is due on that appreciation until the asset's sold. And when it's sold, it's it's then taxed. So so I think about that as tax deferral. You're watching your asset grow in value, Mm -hmm. but you're not paying any tax on it. I think that's a pretty significant advantage of that kind of investment. Uh, and I, th- I just want to mention one thing. If an af- asset is held by an individual until until death, the heir receives a step up in basis, meaning meaning your heir will inherit the $300 asset with a cost be- basis that, that stepped up to the value of the asset at death. And in theory, the, the heir could then sell the asset without any gain, assuming it's still worth $300, and then not owe any tax on the sale. So it's a way, to, you know, think about this as a way to, to, to transfer assets to your, the next generation tax-free. Mm-hmm. So that's truly a tax-deferred or that becomes a tax-free investment. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you had said, you know, tax-free uh, investments and accounts. What are those? Yeah. So, so, again, outside of a retirement plan, you're investing and you may decide to invest in municipal bonds, the interest 
generated by municipal bonds are tax-free at the federal level. They may be tax-free at the state level, uh, depending upon if that bond is issued in the, in the state that you uh, reside in. So municipal bonds are, provide tax-free income. Uh, another tax-free account is a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. uh, many of our clients have heard about that. I've talked about it lots of times. So a Roth IRA account can be invested and, and all the earnings can be eventually distributed tax-free if the account has been open for five years or longer and you're 59 and a half years old or older. So that to me is a very, very good tax-free investment account because mm -hmm. it just accumulates and you never have to pay tax on it. Uh, another kind of tax-free account are college education 529 plans. They grow tax-free if the earnings are used uh, to pay for qualified education expenses. Mm -hmm. There are lots of different kinds of tax-free accounts. Health savings accounts. I've talked about that on previous podcasts. Yep. Uh, health savings accounts are, are a fantastic vehicle. Uh, they, they accumulate tax-free dollars. Matter of fact, you can accumulate tax-free dollars on, on, on contributions to an HSA that you've never paid tax on. So it's, it's a fantastic vehicle and it can be withdrawn tax-free if, if used to pay for qualified medical uh, yeah. benefits. So, so again, uh, 529 plans, HSAs, uh, Roth IRAs, uh, and another, another tax-free uh, kind of a account, not, not an investment, but insurance benefits are, are often tax-free. And remember, you, you know, you're, you're typically paying premiums with after-tax payments, uh, but the benefits that you receive, whether they're long-term care or your heirs would receive if they're death benefits or your health benefits that you get, uh, disability benefits, they can be tax-free, and then property and casualty benefits. So I, I think that's just an important thing to consider when, when thinking about insurance is the benefits you receive are tax-free. Got it. All right. Now, the, the last category, and I think you said you wanted to kind of focus on this today, was uh, taxable investments. So um, since they're taxable, are these things that we want to avoid at all costs? No, absolutely not. Yeah, I think you want taxable investments. I know you want taxable investments. If you have a, uh, accounts that, are, that are, are, have already been taxed and you're investing, uh, they just need to be managed more diligently and mm -hmm. carefully. So re remember my comment that we don't want the tax tail to wag the, inve wag the investment dog? Mm -hmm. well, well, taxable inve investments give us flexibility and liquidity. Okay. And, and so you're able to kind of time when you're paying taxes. Taxes are, are often unavoidable and it's not a bad thing. So it just, it, it, you know, but even though you have to pay taxes, you still have, you're still netting personal wealth. <laughs> so okay. it's, taxes aren't necessarily bad. All right. So what kind of income or gains should our listeners be concerned about when it comes to these types of investments? Yeah. So uh, any investment will have really three kinds of, of uh, attributes. There's going to be um, dividends, interest, and realize capital gains. Mm -hmm. and, and there are different kinds of taxes investors have to pay for each of them. So let me just describe that. Uh, hopefully this isn't gonna uh, be too convoluted. Uh, but, but we talk about uh, dividends. Dividends are typically paid by stocks. Uh, stock dividends 
can be either qualified or non-qualified. Most dividends are qualified. And if they're qualified, um, they're taxed at the capital gains rate, mm-hmm. which is uh, at 0%, 15%, or 20%. And, and that's significantly less than ordinary income rates. So capital gains rates are really tax advantaged. And, and we, we want, um, if we have to receive income, uh, we, we'd rather pay it at a lower rate than at a higher rate. Mm-hmm. So if you think about capital gains tax rates being at 0, 15, and 20%, that is in contrast to ordinary income rates, which are at 22, 24, 32, 35, and 37%, never mind state taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want qualified dividends non-qualified t- dividends, which are often a very small piece of a portfolio and you know, not, not a tremendous worry, but, but those are taxed as ordinary income. So we talked about dividends. Uh, the, the second component are interest on bonds. Uh, bonds are, are taxable as ordinary income unless they're municipal bonds, which are, tax, which are tax-free. Mm. Now, that tax-free is better than taxable. However, uh, there are many bonds that pay higher rates than municipal bonds. And even net after taxes, someone might be better off paying tax at that higher rate because they're netting more income. Gotcha. Okay. So it's not always taxes are the issue. It's really what what you're receiving net after the taxes. And then lastly, which really an investor has more control when it comes to realizing capital gains. So we often focus as, in, as financial advisors on, on the realized capital gains portion of, of a portfolio. If an asset that appreciates is held for less than one year, the gain is taxed as ordinary income at that, those higher rates. However, if, it's, if the asset is held and then sold for a gain uh, after one year or longer, the gain is taxed at those long-term capital gain rates, which are at that 0, 15, and 20%. Mm-hmm. And the point here is that capital gain, capital gains are taxed at lower rates than ordinary income. And that's why we focus on it. Got it. Okay. And I, I just want to mention one more tax that affects a lot of our clients, which is a, uh, an additional uh, 3.8% Medicare surtax. And this is a tax on investment income, which includes interest, dividends, uh, gains, capital gains. When when your income exceeds $200,000 for an individual and $250,000 for a married couple filing jointly. So it's just an additional tax. So we think about uh, long-term capital gains rates at that 15 or 20% for most of our clients. Well, for many of them, add another 3.8% on top of that. Mm. And then finally, we can't forget about state taxes. Uh, Massachusetts is a fairly high income tax state. It, it's at 5%. Some of the other states are at, high, at higher levels and many states are at lower levels. But it's just another tax that you need to be concerned about. So taxable investments are taxed, but there's different ways that they're taxed. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, what we, that's what we talk about. That's when we get into investment planning is trying to minimize taxes, always keeping financial planning goals in mind first, but we try to minimize the the current taxable income from a portfolio. Gotcha. Okay. 
All right, so let me throw a scenario at you. And I think that most listeners would kind of be in this boat. I want my portfolio to grow, right? Uh, or I want current income, either way. And I definitely want to minimize the checks I have to write to <laughs> the U.S. Treasury or my state. Uh, what are my tax considerations in this situation? Yeah, so so first, I think we always focus on objectives. So how much growth do you need? How much income do you need? Uh, how do you feel about risk? Yeah, the 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 portfolio, the investments really need to be appropriate to meet your risk, income, and growth objectives. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it may be appropriate to construct a portfolio with individual stocks and bonds. And, and if we're doing that, here are some of those tax considerations. So uh, we're, we're building a portfolio with stocks and bonds in mind relative to your, to your, your objectives. And we, we want to focus on tax deferred appreciation. So we want to buy stocks that, that grow from $100 to $200 to $300. And that's what we want. We don't mm -hmm. always get that, but that's what we want. And that's why I like that tax deferred growth of appreciation of stocks. We also want to be investing in, in, in stocks that are paying uh, qualified dividends. Again, those dividends are, are, are qualified and therefore the taxes owed are at the capital gains tax rate, which is tax advantaged. And then lastly, we, we, if we do have appreciation in the stocks, we want to hold them for more than 12 months hmm. because then it becomes a long-term capital gain. And those are taxed more efficiently. They're taxed less okay. than short-term gains. So we want to focus on, on realizing gains uh, for assets that have, have, have been held for 12 months or longer. Now, the reality is when we're buying a basket of stocks for a client, mm -hmm. Not every stock is always going to go up in value. Some of those stocks that we purchase might have a loss. Mm -hmm. It just happens. Matter of fact, it, it will happen. <laughs> um, and so if you sell a security for a loss, that can be advantageous as well. And many of our clients say, what? I, that's advantageous? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've lost money on my asset. Well, yes. You have, and and we'd love we'd love it if we could only buy stocks that go up in value, but that's just that's just an impossibility. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. Uh, so the advantage of realizing losses, uh, buying a stock for 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 hundred dollars, selling it when it's gone down in value, has has a, a few different advantages. One, any losses that are generated in that year can be used to offset taxable income up to three thousand dollars per year. Mm. So that's pretty good. The loss can also be used to offset realized gains. So here's the strategy. A stock, uh, you buy a stock A and it goes up in value by $1,000. Uh, you buy stock B and it goes down in value by $2,000. Doesn't necessarily mean that stock B is a terrible stock to own for a variety of reasons. It, it, it may just have gone down after you bought it mm -hmm. and it may come back at some point. So in this, in, we're using this strategy, we may want to sell both stocks A and B. You take the proceeds and, and then purchase two different stocks. Let's say stock C and D. Okay. So there's a, we've, in this scenario, we've got a, a $2,000 realized loss. 
and we've got a thousand dollar realized gain. Mm-hmm. Well, a thousand dollars of the realized loss can be used to offset the gain, and a thousand dollars of the realized loss can be used to offset other income, maybe interest income, maybe okay. earned income. So this strategy allows the investor to receive $2,000 in, in benefits in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, and so why not use it? And if this becomes a, a real powerful strategy, if, if you're deploying it uh, during the tax years, d- during the tax year, because mm-hmm. not every stock or bond that we, we buy is going to have an immediate gain and there will likely be losses at some point. And we want to take advantage of these losses. So, and you, you just don't have to wait for the stock to recover for that to be advantageous. Got it. Okay. I, I like the way you put it too. When you were explaining it earlier, uh, you have a basket of stocks, right? So uh, I think that's pretty easy to visualize, but I think lots of investors or most investors know what mutual funds are and they probably use mutual funds in one way or another. Are there tax considerations there in, within mutual funds? Yeah, absolutely. You know, not not all investors can invest in a, in the, in a, a broadly diversified portfolio of, of individual stocks and bonds, you know, they, they just may not have enough mm-hmm. assets to do so. Um, and, and so many of our clients want or, or, or they should invest in pooled accounts like mutual funds and exchange traded funds. Got it. And, and the advantage here is that they can be broadly diversified. Uh, they're professionally managed. And, and oftentimes it can be done at a lower cost than a basket of individual stocks and bonds. So there are some advantages. Hmm. However, mutual funds and exchange traded funds or ETFs, they have their their own set of of tax considerations. So just again, a reminder, if if the account is is a tax deferred account or a tax free account, like a retirement plan or annuity or an IRA, you know, we don't have to worry about these tax considerations. So here we're just talking about assets that are held in, in your own name. And so the tax concepts are similar for pooled accounts or funds and individual securities. So there's similarities here. So similar language. Mm -hmm. So your cost basis in the fund or the individual security that you, that you buy are the same. Spend a thousand dollars on a fund. That's your cost basis. If you pay a thousand dollars for a stock, that's your cost basis. It's what you paid for the fund. The fund, if you're buying a fund, you'll purchase a basket of stocks or bonds and, and you may, uh, that may pay you interest or dividends. And so you can take the interest or the dividends or reinvest them in a fund. And if a fund sells the security uh, during that year, there might be a gain or a loss. And if the fund has net gains at the end of the year, uh, they have to distribute those gains to shareholders. Mm. If there are net losses, the fund can use those losses to offset gains in the year that that just ended, or in the f- for future years. Okay. So so it's similar. Um, if but you you don't own shares of a of a of a of a of an individual security. You own a basket of securities, and there's a, there's a difference there. Okay. Okay. So an investor may lose. Uh, in, an investor in a mutual fund can lose some control when they're w- of, of realized capital gains. 
So there's some tax planning control they lose within a mutual fund. Got it. And let me describe why. Okay. So uh, while an investor has a cost basis in the cost of the fund, uh, the mutual fund may own lots and lots of stocks with very low cost basis. Mm -hmm. They might've bought Apple stock, for example, 20 years ago, and they may still own the stock. So let's say the fund sells Apple stock. The gain is going to be distributed to all taxpayers, all, all, all shareholders. Even though you may have only purchased the fund six months ago, you're going to receive a distribution on a, on a gain that's been held in the fund for 20 years. Hmm. And you'll, you may pay a capital gains tax on this distribution even though you personally haven't experienced the gain. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I, and I've seen this come to roost for, for many a, uh, an unsuspecting investor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you purchase a fund in January that's done fabulously in the recent past, and, and all of a sudden there's a market pullback, right? And, you know, that happens. Mm -hmm. And then other investors get spooked, and they, they decide to pull out, pull out of that fund. They, they don't want to be in that in stocks and they they just sell. More money is leaving the fund than coming in. And when that happens, the manager may be forced to liquidate some of the holdings that they, that have had gains in order to pay out those investors okay. that want to redeem shares. Got it. So it's now December and you still own the fund, although it's worth less than what you bought it for, but you're not concerned because it's a good fund and it's buying stocks that you want to own. Mm -hmm. uh, however, your mutual fund now has net realized gains during the year. And these have to be distributed to shareholders in the form of a, of a capital gain distribution. So your fund is worth less than you, than you paid for it. And you need to pay a capital gain tax on the distributed gains. So hmm. it, it, it's just not a, such a happy tax yeah, experience. Doesn't, doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. It's not great. It's not good. Now, is it the end of the world? No, that, 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 Fund is going to recover. Hopefully, it's well managed. Uh, but the fact is that you pay you're paying a tax now on something that you didn't take advantage of. Got it. You didn't you didn't actually earn those gains. Hmm. So I, I will say that you know many mutual funds are are they're actively managed, and they may not be that tax efficient. Uh, the, the portfolio manager is buying and selling stocks throughout the year. Most funds, mutual funds, just aren't managed with tax efficiency in mind. Uh, you know, the manager isn't always trying to reduce the realized gains or even offset gains with losses. They, they just don't do that. Mm -hmm. Some do, but most don't. And so funds are trading throughout the year. There may be a high level of turnover in the fund. So, so the, the portfolio manager may be uh, turning over 25 or 50% of the portfolio each year mm -hmm. and therefore may own different stocks at the, at the beginning of the year. Than you did at, than you do at the end of the year, mm -hmm. and so the, and so that the, there may be a, additional distributions uh, that that need to be accounted for uh, during the year. So when we talk about mutual funds being tax efficient, when we're looking at those for our clients, we're often looking at that potential capital gain exposure that's embedded in the funds, mm -hmm. and we're looking at turnover in the funds because that can that can speak to the potential for for taxable uh distributions in any given year uh we use a we use a, a database investment database company called morningstar and and they they can 
offer, they can give us this information. And I find it very, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard of Morningstar and I've heard good things. So that, that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, Peter, I've heard, especially in just in the last few years, ETFs or exchange traded funds, they seem to be really on the rise, right? I mean, I, from what I understand, they've got a low cost and they're, they're pretty tax efficient. Can you talk about those? Yeah, it, uh, exchange traded funds. Uh, we we call them ETFs. They're they're typically passive investments, meaning that they invest in a basket of stocks that attempt to mirror or, or a specific index, like the the S and P five hundred mm -hmm. or the Russell two thousand or the MSCI IFA, which is an index of of non U.S. stocks. And, and frankly, there are thousands of ETFs available to, to investors today. And they do offer some tax advantages. Uh, since they're a mirror of an index, there's typically very little turnover. So the capital, distribu capital gains distributions are usually really small mm -hmm. and investors don't have to, they, they don't have a lot of capital gain surprises that they might see in a mutual fund. Okay. Uh, so investors, that they typically don't need to worry about those embedded capital gains in the portfolio. Like I described earlier, uh, your it, it's because your cost basis is the purchase price of the, of the ETF when you purchased it. And you don't need to really worry about the gains from previous years that might be distributed to you. The, the ETF doesn't need to sell the stocks in order to redeem shares mm. uh, to you. So it, it's a, uh, it, there's more tax control there. So, you know, I, th I think it's an important advantage, but mutual, both mutual funds and ETFs can be sold for a gain or a loss at any time. You can, you can sell a fund that suffered a loss, realize the loss, and then purchase another fund that owns similar stocks. And that can be just a great way to um, generate current losses mm -hmm. to offset future gains or to offset your income up to $3,000 a year. So uh, I, I just want to, we've talked a lot about tax, tax planning, and uh, just a reminder that what matters is the after-tax return of a portfolio. So you could have two similar funds that, that, that are purchasing similar kinds of stocks. Um, fund A may have higher operating expenses than Fund B, uh, meaning it costs more to own Fund A than Fund B. And the after-tax cost of owning Fund A could be higher than the tax cost of owning Fund owning fund B, meaning fund A may distribute capital gains uh, more frequently than fund B. But nevertheless, if we look about if we look at the after tax returns of fund A, they still could be higher than fund B. Yeah. So even though you're paying higher taxes, maybe in 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 certain circumstances it makes sense to own fund A. You know, so uh so tax planning, investment costs are important, uh, but, but they're not the only consideration. Uh, I think we just want to consider the tax, tr the tax drag because uh, it does make a difference, but we always want to focus on that total, total after-tax return. Yeah. And, and as well as you explain this, it still sounds very complicated. <laughs> how, does, how does an investor implement uh, a, a truly tax-efficient investment portfolio? Yeah, I, I think the implementation and the ongoing management is what it's what is most important. There's just lots uh, to consider, and we haven't even talked about other uh, investment decisions that can be made, like 
asset location as part of, of an overall strategy. Yeah, I, know, I actually know you, you've touched on that on previous podcasts, but not today, right? Yeah, not not today. It's just we don't we don't have time. Yeah. But but it's a strategy that attempts to allocate assets into taxable, tax deferred, or tax free accounts that that offer the best overall after tax performance for an investor. So you know, like stocks, you, like you might put stocks into a taxable account mm -hmm. and bonds into a tax deferred account. And, and the point here is that it is complicated and needs ongoing management. And frankly, I'm not sure how most I'm not sure if most investors are up to that task. And, and I suggest that people really seek professional assistance. You know, it, it's it, it's just harder than it looks. It really yeah. is. And and not to knock any CPAs out there, but it, it because of the investment piece of it, I don't know any CPAs that I personally know that would understand all the complexity of all these different things. So how can someone who's looking for this kind of assistance get it? Yeah, I mean, CPAs are certainly good at the tax preparation. Yeah. They understand the tax dynamics and 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 all that, and they understand all these concepts, but they're just not doing the annual tax planning uh, that, that needs to happen within a portfolio. They're yeah. doing tax planning broadly, uh, but not within a portfolio. So, so it, how, how does someone get assistance? Well, you know, no surprise. I, I, I think that's what financial planners do. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we work with the client's tax professionals uh, to come up with an annual tax budget, a strategy, but you know, I, I I think it's advantageous and, and professionals like, like myself do provide some value. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and what you've spoken about on previous podcasts before uh, that listeners haven't heard, they need to go back and listen to is that you work as a team. It's not that you're trying to replace anybody on the, the client's team. You're looking to work hand in hand with all the different professionals that help to manage, you know, what their future should be based on what they want. Right. And that includes CPAs and, and other professionals like that. So I like that you work side by side with them. Um, and I think that if someone's looking for uh, someone to kind of help organize that team, that would be you. Obviously, we've talked about that before. How would our listeners get a hold of you? Sure. Absolutely. Um, go to our website, uh, raskinplanning.com. And uh, there we've got uh, all of these podcasts are published there on the website. Uh, and I think that they're helpful and interesting. At least I think so. I hope so. Yeah. And uh, I'd recommend that, uh, that people listen. And then if they're, if they're interested in, in having a further discussion, give me a call. And our number, my number is 617-728-7433. Yeah, tons of great information on all those podcasts. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for your time today again dove into the meat of the issue. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that people are either taking notes or they're ready to hit that rewind button to, to hear some of those points you made. I hope so. Yeah. Well, thanks, Eric. <laughs> Absolutely. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you listening audience. Thank you for tuning in, listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. 
Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker, dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln does not provide tax planning but does provide tax reduction strategies within financial plans.